Okay, did it again. Recording Fuck. in progress. Sorry. I don't know why it's doing that today. I can't get it to go back to the beginning of the song for some reason today. Who cares? No one does, really. Just keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Let's just go. I know you were recording that, too. That's fine. I have no, I have no shame around my incompetence. Welcome, everybody. That's right. Golf spiritual leader and coach Timmer back for another episode. 194, I believe, is what this is. Confirming your humanity. Yep. Um, always a pleasure to be with you, coach. Um, and you, sir. O'ConnorGolf.ca. And, of course, this program is brought to you by JW Apparel, Inc., Offering golfers of all ages quality apparel from head to toe. Each brand delivers great quality and styling for all weather conditions. Also, great accessory lines and so much more. Check it out at jwapparelinc.com. And of course, let's take a second here and acknowledge that almost from the beginning, TaylorMade has been uh, supporting this podcast uh, you and I are we're two lucky fellows that we get to enjoy the uh, I, you know I just I, I it's crazy how, how much uh, well we not only do we get to enjoy but how much joy mm. we get from playing the uh, the best product from TaylorMade TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X the golf ball trusted by players like Johnson McElroy Morikawa. Henderson, Glassman, and (laughs) O'Connor. I love the fact that we're now part of the read. To learn more about the latest TaylorMade products, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca. In a second or two, I'm going to introduce you to my brother again. And uh, it's funny. He had the same reaction that a lot of people do when they see the carbon wood uh, in person for the first time. Because, you know, most people have just seen the commercials. Everyone's like, oh, that's cool. Well, that red face. Is That's so red. Neat. Yeah, the red it's face. Right? It's something different. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> In the radical world, fashion-forward world of golf. <laughs> no, it is absolutely. I mean, you know, we talked about this recently about the very first, you know, what we used to call them metal drivers, whatever it was that tiny tailor-made burner, whatever it was the size Pittsburgh of a persimmon. That's it. It was the size of a hybrid now. But uh, for all the uh, TaylorMade, if you want to get fit, we always recommend you check it out. Check out TaylorMade products and TaylorMade clubs at TaylorMadeGolf.ca and book in a fitting if uh, we ever get a golf season. Uh, played Today's the uh, 27th of April. We uh, release the podcast on Fridays as usual. We, we've been recording them at different times this year. So I played golf four days ago on a Sunday. <laughs> and it was 20 degrees. It was actually the day after you had your first round. Yeah. Which I want to get into a little bit because your first, the day before I played, it was brutal. It was. And well, now, four days later, it's like zero. <laughs> exactly. I know. It was, it was like Saturday was balmy in comparison to today. So did you get an entire round in? I did. I did. Um, yeah, it was uh, six degrees. Windy as heck. Uh, occasionally misting <laughs> and the ball was like hitting a just say it like it is it was like hitting a sock of shit <laughs> really? i don't care what brand it was i mean i hit a six iron from like 140 short 
I find it interesting, though. You said it was windy as heck, but you're willing to say a sack of shit. That that. Where is the line with you, O'Connor? I know, I, I know, it's so blurry. It has to do with Roman Catholicism. That's what I was going to say. What is your What does Jesus say about that? Doesn't matter. So did you? But you finished it. See, the thing is, you finished the round because you're a true golf nerd. Today is the first time, and David's been visiting me for years here in Toronto. And I said to him because we we've canceled the round today. You know, it's brutal. This is the first time we've ever been shut out, and it's just because. It's zero feels like minus something. Oh, yeah. But we're going to go indoors. We're going to go to Burlington Indoor Golf. B-I-G. And uh, <laughs> we're going to hang out at Casey's place for a couple hours because we have to do something golfy today. We can't just be with each other. What would, we just you know. can't talk. <laughs> yeah, we got to go. Something golfy. Are you going to wear, you wear your new outfits? <laughs> That's funny. Do something golfy? We're going to do some golfy stuff today at Casey's place. Um yeah. My brother pointed out a second ago, he is not a psychologist, but he is trained in the world of psychology. And we've had David on before. And, you know, one of the things I I think is valuable is a guy like David who deals in training and he works with big, you know, executives and he has a, a real sense of how, you know, communication works. And and he's also a golf nerd. He's an STD. And um I like David's perspective on the game because he's not only a, a seeker of information around golf and like a lot of people listening, but he has a perspective in you know the world of psychology and why golf does to us what it does to us. And uh, by I don't know how else to introduce you except good morning, uh, Howard. I've, good, I've, I've known you my whole life. I've, yes. looked, I've looked up to you. Even though was it you that saved me from the one of my brothers threw me off a step? Was it Stephen or was that you? Uh, I think I did. You did. Yes. But we've gotten along pretty well ever since then. Yes. I was young and he What's dared me. What's the age me. difference? Eight, eight years. Eight years. But he, so I was wow. little and he threw me, like he dared me to jump off something and I hurt myself and everyone got mad at him. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, I don't see him because of the magic of Zoom today. So you're kind of a disembodied spirit to me, David. Thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to speak in a disembodied voice. Yeah, yeah. I'm, but I am very aware of your aura. <laughs> so knowing what you know about our show uh, and knowing, you know, we've talked a lot about golf. You know, I picked up David at the airport yesterday. Yeah, a three o'clock flight in from Calgary. We went right to a, a, a driving range, like within a half an hour of landing. You know, where you got four layers on, we have hoodies on, because it's so cold. He said to me, "I feel like the Stay Puffed guy because we can't swim, but we're still <laughs> exactly." But, but but having said all that, we got the jumbo bucket. We got the ju- <laughs> like. Do you know that bucket that you need two? Yeah. Pe- oh yeah. yeah, you need two people Whoa. to carry. <laughs> that was ours. You had like little blisters today, or did you have too many layers on? To even no, no that that was a small day at the range. We <laughs> okay, but um, so let's just get right into it. You know, golf. You know, again, the psychology of golf and how it affects people. Why do you think again? And you have the perspective of how golf affects you. But what is it about the game that exposes us so much? Uh I'm not sure even where to start. You know, I think golf isn't just something you do. Uh, Golf is some golfing or being a golfer is somebody who you are. And, and I think that's different than other other sports. Uh, you know, I spent a bit of the winter in, in Mexico and I golf and I play pickleball. Um, 
I identify as a golfer, but I wouldn't tell people I'm a pickleball player. Right. It doesn't have the same set of relationship. So golf is in that way not just a, a thing. Uh, you know, the, the, the fancy philosophers would call it an ontology. It's a big word. But it's like who you are. And, and that's why it's so all-encompassing, but it's also why it makes us so fragile. Because when we, we do badly, I think what's at stake is just not the, the game that day, the, your round. It, what you could put at stake is your whole being. And, and that's, I think, the, the, the dangerous thing. It's also the lovely thing, too. Because, so I guess we're affected by it because of using your words. Because of, in that world, we just take it, we take it personally because it's about us and our person. It can be if you let it. Absolutely. Yeah. What there yeah. was a there was a, a a phrase. I can't. Remember, was it you that was we were talking about uncoupling, or was it somebody else? But it's like hard for us to uncouple from from golf because it because we we can't. I'm all, I admire people that don't take it personally because right. they're able to detach themselves from the identity as a golfer. They can just play the game and enjoy it and go home. Let me give you an example that's not golf, that's the same phenomena. Uh, You know, two people get into a small fender bender. Uh, for some people, it's, oh, hey, it's just, just a fender, let's exchange information. But every once in a while, you get the kind of road rage because people can't separate themselves from their bumper. Go deeper on this, so, Sir David, so, please. So, you know, be careful what you identify with. Right. Um, and, and in a sense, it's, it's okay to identify as a golfer because, again, golfing isn't just a thing you do. It isn't just a sport. I think for a lot of people, you know, our generation of of playing the game and as you get older, that becomes for a lot of people their primary identity. You know, so you've retired or you're not working as much. Uh, golfing is an identity you take to your grave. You know, working at Joe's Tire as, you know, controller, you know, that ends at a certain day. But, uh, you know, certainly our father, I mean, he, he golfed till the summer he died. Now, six weeks before I golfed with him, Labor Day of uh, 80 or of 2006 and six weeks later. In fact, he was still somewhere in his last few days. We were still talking about his backswing, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, know, David, I'm glad you brought uh, brought our fathers into it. And it, it seems to me that every time the uh, Glassman O'Connors <laughs> get together, there's always this father thing that we yeah. bring up. But my dad was the same as Lou. Uh, my dad, his name was Dennis. And... He just so identified with being a golfer, and when it was going well, you know, he walked like Roy McElroy down the fairway, standing up, all that good stuff. And was it good and well? You could just tell. He just slumped right over, and it wasn't that much different, frankly. And again, David, I'll ask you to bounce up this. It wasn't that much different than being at the at the dining room table as you know a, a young adult, and you get into some debate. And and every once in a while I would say something that might, you know, s- contradict his argument a little bit or just come at it a different way. And you could see how it weighed on him in terms of his identity as someone who could be do things competently, express views that he considered right. And if I threatened them, uh, it would uh, be almost injurious to him. 
You know, I'm not licensed to do therapy now, Tim, but if, if you wanted to call me after the show, I, I, I could work that out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting talking about fathers. Um, what, what, what I think was interesting about our father, he, he was actually at his best when he was a, a golfer. That was his best identity. And what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I mean, he had, you know, kind of a varied nature. But as a golfer, I mean, that was that was his best. You know, like his identity is, you know, sweet Lou on the golf course. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, So so golf, I mean, we can be all sorts of things, but golf is something that lets us be what we want to strive for. Um, You know, my learning about golf this winter playing with my my partner uh, was was mainly about being a better human being on the golf course, being in a better mood, being a better playing partner, um, you know, being grateful. Right. Right. And so, is that because she threatened you? You can tell us. You know, we've all, we've got, we all have women in our lives. Where Was there a, a point where that person was like, you know what, David? Pretty much. Was yes. there an intervention? There was an intervention. Um, and it wasn't a, a single intervention, but it was learning over a, a, a long time this winter to to really be grateful. Yeah. Timmy, what do you want to say? Well, it's really interesting. It's obviously, there's all kinds of different experiences with this game, <clears throat> and particularly how we identify with it and respond to it, or maybe more specifically react to it. Um, my father would, if, if it wasn't going well, my he wouldn't speak as his he would his sentences was, would get terse his posture would change and i've seen that in many many golfers is that they can't make this separation in terms of when they play badly it doesn't have ramifications for their self-worth or how other people judge judge them and that's when people basically lose their shit yes. playing golf is they just start to almost panic uh and, and so it's just amazing the the very differences. And so that's the challenge I think that the game poses to us is when we play, and, and most of the time we don't play to our uh, up to what we perceive to be our A game. Most of the times we're nowhere there. But how do we balance that with knowing, you know, if I'm not playing great golf, it doesn't mean I'm also a, a shitty person. Well, well, I think you have to have the distinction um, to understand that you aren't your golf game, right? Exactly. The, all of these problems are, are a collapse of domains. Yeah, but to your point that we, because golfers, uh, again, versus, you know, people that play bocce or pickleball or whatever, really identify, like, you know, and, and you make a good point that, you know, if I play tennis from time to time, even if I'm an elite tennis player with a bunch of, I don't know that you have the same anxiety and anguish that golfers get. The You know, I'm going to read some stuff from one of the, decade guys that I work with uh, about his first tournament experience and, and you can just read the anguish mm-hmm. and listen I if anyone has heard any of the shows we've done many times Tim and I separately and together have talked about how the depths of the sorrow and the frustration and people who don't golf would just think that was silly mm-hmm. and so we can't separate the identity and I guess a lot of the things we've talked about on this show that you know are basically how do you become a better partner how do you how do you enjoy the game without you know punching the inside of your car like I've done several <laughs> times well I, I think that's it it's not automatic no it's not obvious I mean I think the habit of collapsing who you are with what just happened is a habit in life 
I think very few people uh, are equipped or as a matter of habit uh, do that well. You know, that's why, you know, you have a small failure at work. You get a bit of negative feedback from from somebody or other. And rather than paying attention to, uh, you know, the, the, the other person, what just happened, you're all caught up in, you know, woe is me. I'm a terrible person. And, and, and I think people who are committed to, to performance actually as a matter of habit are really good at distinguishing the two. Um, I don't think, and this is speculation because I've never played at an elite level. I, you know, I know Howard and, you know, I've seen some good golfers. But I think ultimately that's the difference between somebody who's physically good and somebody who's elite, that they do have the ability not to become crestfallen, you know, with a bad shot. I mean, Howard, you were pointing out the other day, mentioning one of the pros that hit a bad shot, swore, and then a couple seconds later seemed to be past that, right? They're they're not stewing on what just happened. Um, Tim, you deal with a lot of guys, men predominantly, and, and I mean, a lot of the coaching that Tim does Yes, is around mental processes, but it's also, I think, again, I know you're not a licensed therapist either, but I think a lot of what you do is sort of listening and being therapeutic with golfers to try and talk them out of, you know, being crestfallen and hating themselves over a golf score. Yeah, exactly. What comes to me when David was talking is the, the word, two words, consciousness and awareness. And as David talked about, if you get if some, you have an interaction at work, it's not much different than something that happens on the golf course. You plunk one in the water, you got a good score going, and you make double or something. Um, and and how do you react? What's the what happens in your gut? And often it's it's just like David said. We start to have this. Oh, I, I I'm I'm a bad whatever business person, whatever, and I'm a bad golfer. So what I'm talking about consciousness is oh, this is happening. Mm-hmm. I'm plunged back into it right now, and now I'm aware of it. And okay, wait a sec. What do I need to do? Oh, let go of that. Goodness, I'm. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole of uh, of beating the shit out of myself and going into the story. So, what could I do differently? Oh, I could just maybe just start chatting with the guys I'm playing with. I could look around at the surroundings, listen to the birds. Um, so, I think it takes a degree of of maturity. Um, as we go through life, become more <clears throat> aware of those things, but also it, part and parcel of that, I think, is a, is a consciousness of what's happening, uh, which I guess is another way of saying awareness, and being able to respond rather than react. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, David, you could react to that. Yeah, David, you can I, I, react well, to that. I'm, I'm thinking you've made me you made me want to reflect here, Tim. Um, You know, this may be a little bit to the side of what you're saying, but I think I can connect it. Um, You know, we're talking about golfers that, in a sense, react like this is their their whole being being questioned. But actually, I think for the most part, it's just the opposite. I I tell a story. This is a little bit of a made-up story in some of my workshops uh, about why in certain domains we're willing to accept feedback and not others. And, and I use a somewhat true example from Howard, and I say, look, if, if I was your supervisor or manager and you were walking past my office and I said, you know, Tim, shut the door, come in, sit down, I've got some feedback for you, um, you know, everybody's universal reaction to that scenario was, ooh, you know, my gut would be roiling. You know, we all know that corporate come in, I've got feedback. 
And in that domain, we almost hate feedback. That's not, not the relationship we have. But mm-hmm. what I've always experienced in the little bit of golf coaching I've got is just the opposite. Now, Howard may not remember this, but some years ago, he was, we were on the driving range and he was watching me swing and he said something to the effect, you look like a frenzied monkey. <laughs> by, by way no, of, I, no, Howard didn't say that. That was old Howard. That was not, old Howard. not GSL. That was pre-GSL but, years. But, but Pre-enlightenment. The, but the point, That's right. But the point was... I. I I could only smile and be curious to know what he was going to tell me. So, mm-hmm. so when you have a commitment to performance, feedback shows up as a contribution. And, and, and I think for the most part, the, the, the golfers who progress hold that attitude, that they are more committed to, to what they need to learn than preserving their ego. And, and, and I love that about golf because it's you know one domain of our life where we can hear the bad news because mm-hmm. the bad news isn't bad. It, it's it, informative. Well, a call, I don't... Listen, that was a different version of Howard. You know, this version uh, <laughs> would never say something so crass. But that is funny. And it was true. Um, but it did, I think what David said is is just struck me as... You know, I know personally that when I'm given criticism, you know, I, I may not always have take, taken it the right way, but I've never balked at somebody helping me out with my golf game no mm-hmm. and, and and saying hey you could do this differently Be, and I'll, but i would tell you i think a lot of golfers can relate to what you just said because golfers are all looking for you know some secret <laughs> give me a look do you have a do you have a secret like i saw a guy ralph bauer last monday i had this great lesson with him oh, i was going to talk oh, about saw ralph finally i eh? saw ralph Oh, great. But so Ralph gave me a couple of drills, but I I already had a putting mirror. But just because Ralph uh, was using this sort of small hole that's portable and an alignment thing, I went on home and I was like ordering them right away and I have them coming. Like, so uh, even now I'm, yeah, pardon? (laughs) Prime. Exactly. I must have this putting thing the next day. Because I, because I'm so open, like whatever you have that I could make, that I think could make my stupid golf game better. But most of us, David, don't have that, don't hold that in our regular lives to the same enthusiasm. Right, which is why we love golf. Like I, I think you know, if you go to, to sort of a just basic Maslow, you know, we really do have a, a, a will or an interest in in actualization. In most parts of our lives, we don't see for ourselves that we can do it so so part of what makes golf so addictive for the people who are addicted is the sense of look at all the possibility right right to, to the end right that's the thing that i admire about golf well that, yeah, and, but i'm gonna argue with you david that i would say a large majority of golfers don't see golf as evidence of the capability or opens the window of possibilities uh I, unfortunately, I see a lot of people that uh, come to me and who I talk to uh, feel stuck and that they, you know, how come I suck? How come, no matter how much I effing practice, mm. how many lessons I take, how come I'll never get this game? You, you, Howard's probably smiling because he's remembering the intervention that George McNamara and then he did. With, no, I was, smi- I, went, I was smiling because I thought you were going to actually say the word fuck as opposed to just <laughs> to dance around it. I'm like, is he going? Oh. Is he going all the way today? 
Uh, well, I, yeah, I mean, I don't want to just agree with you for the sake, but I do agree with you for, for probably many golfers, most golfers. Uh, we were talking about this last night. I think a lot of golfers live in twin moods of they're, they're okay, like they're peaceful about their game, but they're also resigned, not like unhappy, but, you know, they're shooting mid-90s. And they don't see much will change, but they're not upset about it. And and I think that's the, the, the recipe for I'll continue to golf till the day I die. But they don't see that, you know, practicing more or getting coaching would make any difference. Right. So so uh, so technically, I would call that tranquilized resignation. Right. Ooh. If you're, if See, you're he's, he's trained as a psychologist. Yeah. We don't. You and I aren't coming up with that phrase. I don't so, have tranquilized. What? Resignation. I don't have that. I can't even remember it. You said well, it one op- second ago. I got tranquilized be, on the weekend. Like you, can, you can be a lousy golfer at, at a certain moment, but if you're ambitious to improve, you know, help will show up because you're looking for it. Right. Um, I mean, so many people who, who never even catch on to playing golf at all will, will explain to us, to you, to, to Tim, uh, why it isn't they don't like golf or why they'll never learn it or they, they go out twice, find they can't play the game instantly and go, I guess I can't learn that. And once you make that decision, you know, guess what? You won't. No, and, and what you said, because we were talking about this last night, as David said, but, you know, you're, you're right. We're just talking to the golfers that we all know that are seekers that want to have improvement, etc. There are a group of golfers, and maybe more than we would care to admit, that maybe it's not resignation, but it's a certain... Res- they just don't seem to... They seem to enjoy them. <laughs> I don't understand it, yeah. but they, they just seem to enjoy themselves. Well, you those know? are the guys you yeah. see on, on men's night um, at Blue Springs, and I got to think at Glencairn. They come out, they have uh, more than a few pops... And it's about having good times, yes, and they right. don't effing care I know. to shoot ninety five. It's there for the camaraderie and mm-hmm. and and having a good time. Uh, just and <laughs> you gotta love it. And I, actually, Fred Shoemaker, there we go. There's the first Shoemaker. mention of Fred today. Yeah. Um, he said that there was a study done. I believe it was in the UK that asked in terms of male golfers who was the happiest, about fifteen handicapper, and for women it was in the low twenties. So these the most happy golfers. So these are golfers who they're okay with Mm -hmm. the scores they shoot. They don't need to shoot in the seventies to be happy. Uh, again, I, I, I admire them. I, I, you know, obviously I can't really, I was smiling too. You're talking about the guys on men's night. They like to, you know, have some beers after the round, you know, and I'm during during the round and such, you know, and I, and I get that. It's, I mean, I know that golf is supposed to be for the camaraderie too, but you know, my thinking is I've just spent four and a half hours with you people. Why do we have to spend more? Haven't I just spent enough time in your, do do, do I have to go and sit and have a burger and and watch and have more time? Anyway, uh, (laughs) David, uh, always, we appreciate your perspective. Nice. Um, Nice talking to you both. Tim. Maybe we'll get to golf. I'm, I'm back in August. So, We'll we'll try a game. That would be lovely. Maybe yeah. I'd Frost enjoy that. Gone Maybe I could get my brother Pat, and we we'll have, have a brother, an O'Connor Glassman, <laughs> absolutely brotherly match. I'd love that, man. And I was going to say, not, we always. I appreciate your perspective, and I and I'm gonna. You know, you're welcome to sit. I'm just going to now. I'm just going to turn your mic, your, or maybe you can go like Johnny Carson, go to the couch. But I appreciate you, and uh, I'll go upstairs. Go upstairs. That's good, David Glassman. Everybody making another. 
I'm sorry, sorry. Dad, what, say that again. I, I said really appreciate what you and Tim. Do. Oh, I'm sorry. If you're going to give us uh, compliments, you have, I'll be all the time in the world for that. Don't go <laughs> yeah. away. Right. Yeah, just make sure you, uh, David. Just make sure you subscribe to us and leave a positive review. Yeah, exactly. Um, what was that word? Transgression of proactivity. What was? It? <laughs> what was it called? What? Tranqu- what? Tranquilized resignation. Tranquilized resignation. I'm going to start throwing that around in my practice. That's tranquilized. Worth on a T-shirt. God damn it. You know, it's just when you think, you're, I'm not even the smartest person. In, like, I'm just like the third. I have two brothers. I'm the th- I realize I'm the third smartest one. I'm not even close. It's like, it's seriously. I love how you put that. So see how, that, see how you're a positive person now? Post-enlightenment, before you would say, I'm the dumb one. Now you say, oh, no, I, the yeah. third smartest. Exactly. I'm definitely the third smartest That's That's a glass half full of way of looking I'm at it. I'm a glass half full man. Exactly. Yeah, I think you could go into any downtown bar and you'd see a number of people who were in a state of tranquilized resignation. Yes, I love that. Yeah. So I won't, um, obviously I'm not going to tell uh, you who this is. It's one of the, you know, one of the GSL decade dudes. I'll call them the decade dudes. How about that? I like it, DDs. The DDs. There you go. There we see? go. The decade dudes. The, the, the DDs. I came up with that one. You're coming up with the rest of the fancy acronyms. I think I finally came up with <laughs> okay. one that was okay. <laughs> All right, fella. You're just fine. You're doing great. <laughs> so this is somebody that has listened to our show uh, and engaged my services as a decade consultant, a decade Sherpa, and um, had his first tournament. You know, I've, I've already talked to him. I've already done the debrief. Uh and I, I, I want to bring this up just because of the, you know, we're talking about, as David said, people, how we identify ourselves as golfers. And uh, this person has a swing coach. He listens to every one of our shows. He's super invested in his game. He hits the ball really well. He moves it with speed. Um, he can, he can in, and, you know, generally probably shoots in the mid-80s. And has wanted to start playing some tournament golf. So we've been meeting around the decade system and how it relates to him. And uh, I got this note, Timmy, and it's just, I'm sure you've had notes like this, where it goes on and on about the round and and how he felt terrible. And there were moments of chaos. Do you have sad music to play under it as you read it? Uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I probably maybe some, should. Maybe maybe some Wagner. <laughs> you could it could be Wagner. Yeah, give me an idea. What what would be uh or a really slow blues? Uh, Red House, uh, Jimi Hendrix. Um, yeah, you, there's your choice: is Wagner or Jimi Hendrix? Red House. Oh, hang on a second. Here we go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if this is sad or just weird. Um. No, keep going. It's Sturm and Drang all the way. Okay. Um, I'll just read you a couple highlights. Um, I got rattled and my focus was shit. Following a bad shot, my mind would race and so would my body. The group I was with told me to take my time on several occasions as they could see me rushing. Uh, bad shots reduced my confidence. I'm going to come back to that in a second. My overall focus dropped to minimal once I was disheartened with my play. Negative self-talk was rampant. The whole day I focused on each bad shot and felt like the day was running away from me. I even dismissed my good ones because they couldn't make the difference since it was running away so badly. If it wasn't a tournament, I probably would have walked off and gone home. 
This is a grown man who is a really smart guy, and he, you know, he did, there were some highlights. He talked about how he tried to stay engaged with his group, and he tried to joke and laugh, and and I, you know, I, again, I, I told him, I'll just tell you what I said to him. I said, first of all, just so you know, this will happen again. <laughs> That's what I said. Exactly. I said, it's not one and done. It's what I wrote to him. I you said, know. lots of good stuff. I said, uh, I said, it's what you wrote, I said to him, is so typical of playing tournament golf. I said, I'd be more surprised if this didn't happen to you. Right. It would be more of a surprise that, that you would go out and have a great experience your first time because that, like I didn't want to tell him beforehand, but that was never in the cards. And, and the good thing about what he experienced was, and, and for people listening, you may, maybe get this, it, it is just what happens to your body under pressure that you can have the best plans. And it's like Mike Tyson said, you know, everyone's got a great plan until you get punched in the face for the first time. Exactly. You know, and once that oh, happens, yeah. the plan takes a... So I'm going to read you one more thing, but what are your thoughts initially about what I read you? Uh, I completely relate and I've had many, many conversations with clients and just fellow golfers who've, who've gone through that. Your first tournament, have some of these aspirations. You're excited. It's like going to school for the first time or something. You know, all this stuff is happening. And then it just inevitably, our, the, the body starts doing stuff that we don't even know what's happening and we can't access our skill it's like like it's, it's like suddenly golf becomes which end do i hold the club and it, everything just everything you try gets worse and it's just a, in, an inevitable experience and so what I mean, everyone wants to transform and go forward but unfortunately <laughs> It always sucks. Yeah, we go through tough experiences. There's no. It's it's in all parts of life. You want to go forward and stuff. Well, then you got to go through some shit. That's just unfortunate the way it is. Well, I mean, there's a million cliches that cover this. You know, one of which yep. is you know, you don't really you only you only grow and learn on when you know when things go not according to plan. You don't see the light till you see, you've been through the darkness. Cetera, it's a kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight, Bruce Coburn. Ooh, very nice. Lovers in a Dangerous Time, one of the great lines from any song. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just going back to, here's where I really felt bad. And again, as I said to this uh, client, this friend of mine now, I said, you know, you know, you shot a pretty high score. He did. He shot, you know, pretty high. He was in triple digits. And I said, listen, dude, in 2016, only six years ago, when I was, again, maybe not scratch, but close to it. I shot 92 in the first round of the Ontario Mid-Am. You know, I said, the, the, you know, David talked about the possibilities of golf. You know, I, I reminded this uh, friend, I said, listen, last summer, at the end of the year, I shot 87 at the early bird, which was in October. But I said, so last summer I shot 87 and 66. Both of those possibilities are, uh, are there every time I play. You know, you, we all can shoot, you know, uh, 30 shots is nothing for an amateur golfer. Absolutely. So I told him not to feel bad. But I, I, I did say, you know, like we've all had, and it's going to be kind of funny, I think, but we've all had experiences like I'm about to share with you that he had. So he, it's his first tournament. He has a great range session. First hole, 
this is what happens. He hits his drive, and he hit, he's in his 40s. He hits it far. He said to me, I hit it 320 yards, but into some trees. So he's the very first shot. He pull hooks it, which we, again, I told him another thing that all that happens to all good players or better players is you're going to just have to live with pull hooking shots. It just happens. So he pulls in the trees. Then he is, he's, he should have, he told me I should have played backwards, but I tried to go through the trees and sure enough, it hits a tree and ends up on the second tee box. (laughs) So, so it's on the second tee and there are not one, but two groups waiting on the second tee. Sorry for laughing, Brendan. No, I don't. Don't say his name. I didn't say his name. You did. Okay, I'm going to edit that out. No one heard it. So, so he hits it on the on the tee. There's two groups waiting, and now he's got like a 30 yard pitch shot off the tee box to the next hole, and it just goes downhill from there. He skulls that chip. He blades another one. These guys are watching him. Exactly. Um, he hit it over the. He had a cart path back and forth. <clears throat> Anyway, and I felt so bad for him because it's like, listen, man, I've been there. It's like the tournament just started and all of a sudden you're in this whirling. I said to him, how fast did that first hole feel? (laughs) I I don't even remember. (laughs) He said, I barely remember playing it. It happened so fast. So I just got to ask, what what was the number that went on the scorecard for hole number one? You know, not as big as I thought, only a seven. Really? Oh, I, I know. Thought, I thought it was like 11. I thought so, too. I thought it was going to be 9, 10, but it wasn't. Okay, that's not so bad. So it's a triple, right? It was a triple. And yeah. <clears throat> anyway, I, I guess I bring it up to just say that, you know, we're all the same and that these experiences. Um, And I, I, I reached out to our friend Paul Doolin, and I was going to be talking to him anyway, but I happened to say, hey, listen, I'm working with this guy, and this is, I read some of this stuff to Paul. I said, what, what would you, what do you tell, what would you tell a player like this? And he gave me a couple things to share and I thought I'd share it with everyone else. The first thing he said is just remind your player. And I would remind everyone that self-confidence or confidence in general, if you, if you only look for confidence from results, you're going to be disappointed Mm. and, and self-confidence doesn't come from results. They come from process. And I thought that's so good because most of us don't have the, um, our society isn't, we're not equipped with delayed gratification anymore. Oh, 100%. Right? So I reminded my player that, listen, you're on the right path. And I said, he's got a series of tournaments he's entered. These are all fun tournaments, but they're tournaments. And I said, you know, maybe around the fifth or sixth one, you'll start to feel comfortable. But don't expect it to happen the next one or the next one after that. I said, maybe look for little moments when you're comfortable. But overall, the process, you just have to derive your confidence from putting in, as you would say, putting in your time and putting in your reps. So that was the first thing that Doolin told me. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, Process is everything because... Again, if you come back to, it's a cliche of golf. It's the only thing you can really have control over. You have zero control over where the ball is going to go, if it's going to go in the hole, etc. But process is something that you can just delve into, learn more about. And I think that's really, at the end of the day, what this is about, is the learning that goes on. You know, it, it the, the score he shot has zero to do with who he is as a human being and as a golfer. 
but what he learned, he can take forward. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. The second thing that Doolin shared with me, and a few people don't know, Paul's a performance coach, works with tour players. And this kind of goes back against sort of what Dave was talking about. Like, we golfers identify so much with our game. And one of the things that, you know, you get talked to about all the time, so do I, is, you know, how do I get to be more consistent? And what most golfers mean by that is, how do I get my swing to never break down and be exactly the same all the time? Um, <laughs> but that's true. Uh, but yeah, what no, Doolin totally. said, he said, think about where fun comes from. I said, okay, I know a few things. I know a few places where fun comes from. But he said, uh, for, mo- for most people, fun comes from uncertainty. Not knowing how it's going to work out is where some of the fun comes from. And I thought it was an interesting thing to remind myself and my, my guy that, you know, you're not supposed to know. You never know. You hope that you're going to have a good round. You hope that your processes are in place. But you don't know if it's going to be the 66 or the 87. Mm-hmm. And isn't that where some of the fun comes from? And wasn't most of the fun from the adventure of not being 100% sure every time? Yeah, but it goes against our most of our desires. I hate to use the universal we, but we want to control things. We don't want pain. We don't want uncertainty. So in golf, we look for, I mean, it really is, most of the of the people that come to me for coaching in the mental sphere or or with their swings or together they want to be consistent it's like the holy grail of golf but it's not it's not possible we're just not meant as human beings to to be robots like you talked about over and over again so we desire control but we can't have it so really what is about in a different way is is how do we adapt to the situation that's going on I'm standing on the first tee. You know, I can barely get my breath going. My heart's racing like a rabbit. How do I adapt to that? I've got a shot in the trees. I see a little hole here, but what's the adaptation I'm going to make? That, to me, is it's a different way of looking at fun. And, and to me, that's the fun. That's, at the end of the day, one of the things that I love about golf is just making a decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's what's the wind doing? What's the where's the bunker? Where's this in location? And so that's part of the adapting process. And to me, that's part of the the fun of golf, if you will. You know, Doolin said something else. I just looked down here. He said, you know, knowledge isn't growth. Experience comes from the adventure, and that's where the growth is. You grow from the experience because you know this person. Uh, as I said to him last night, I said, think about this now. Now you know what this feels like. And, yeah. you know, and next time when you're in a situation like you were in the first hole, you know, he said to me after, you know, I said, maybe you'll make the decision to just hit. I said, one of the hardest things to do as a golfer is to look from where you just were and hit back toward that. It just does it goes against everything we believe in. But totally. I said, had you, t- had you made that decision... You know, the chaos would have slowed down a little bit. And that's what happens under pressure is that it just becomes, like I say, a whirlwind of nonsense. But, you know, I said, so now every time you're in that situation, you'll have a moment to go, okay, I've been here before. It will feel less threatening. And, and, And that's what it's all about. You get the knowledge comes from the experience and the adventure. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is no, like you, you, we've said this a million times now, but 
there is consistency of process and approach, you can make that consistent. That's right. about it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, where do we grow from? It's from hard experience. I mean, all of us have read all kinds of, I mean, my, my bookshelf is full of cool golf books, Rotella, et cetera, Harvey Penick, all this wisdom, knowledge that I have, and I pick it up all over the place, as we all do. But in that moment, mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when stuff is happening, it's the chaos of tournament golf, particularly at first, your first tournament, we're not logical creatures. We get, we get triggered, our old stuff happens to us, and then we start doing stuff that, oh, my God, that was really a dumb decision. <laughs> That's right. So later, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Because we're not, because we're, we're creatures of our, of our past and our, and, our, and just all the shit vibrating around, um, as opposed to, oh, what did uh, Bob Rotella say mm-hmm. in this moment? Oh, okay, I should breathe and look around and make a decision. Can I hit this nine times out of ten here? Now I'm fucking going for it. Uh-oh. Now he's mad. I say there's some F-words, F-bombs. I'm mad. I mean, I no, just, no, I'm teasing. I took your invitation. I, listen, you're welcome to swear whenever you want. You know, I, I, I will tell you that that piece about <laughs> knowledge coming from experience, especially under tournament conditions, and again, I, I was talking about this with him last night. I said, like, I've played dozens of dozens of tournaments, lots of tournaments in the last five years. And it's just been recently that I've stopped trembling. I mean yep. it. Like, literally totally. physically shaking on the first tee. I, it, it, used, it used to take me three holes. Now, you know, I've got the trembling under control, but I'm still nervously hitting a ball well into the first hole. You know, last year during the senior Ontario's, like I felt pretty comfortable by the second and third hole, but I still was uncomfortable all three days, all the way through the first hole. And I just kind of muddled my way through it. But I told him like, it takes a while to calm down. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and in the end we, we, he told me he had like a couple of great shots on par threes. And I said, well, let's, let's anchor that. Let's think about that, that you 100%. were able to hit the green on three or four of the par threes and you felt good. I said, think about how so you, you did have some moments where you felt yourself. Um, and that's the, I say the greatest win is that you teed it up. Most people won't yep. do that, that you completed the round. I never used to. You know, I think of it all the times I walked off golf courses. Like, I did it a lot. Like, oh, it was, it's oh, embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what, what, a 37-year-old man, 35-year-old man walking off the course after nine holes in a tournament? Goodbye. I have now done <laughs> nine. I'm 45 and done. And now you practice vulnerability by talking about it. That's no. great. No, it's seri- in all seriousness, it's wonderful that you can talk about it. But, boy, we all go through stuff like that. Um but in a different way, you could say the fun of tournament golf is that your body's in an uproar. In other words, you're excited. You're going to do this thing. You know, that's kind of a reframe on it. But that what a great experience to go into something and to be that jacked up and have to do it. That's, that's wonderful. Yep. But the other thing, too, just to come back to um, your, your client and the way is and we come back to this from time to time. Uh, no one cares. No one cares what you shoot or what you do. I remember the very first, I think, real tournament I played in, other than, you know, father and son 
GAO stuff with my father was in Myrtle Beach, the Golf Writers Association of America. I I had gotten this George Knudsen swing trainer thing, um, <laughs> and I practiced it dutifully all winter. I go down early April to Myrtle Beach and shoot uh, 111. Nice, <laughs> triple. And, Love that. And one, one, I was one. just I was just freaking the fuck out. And I went to the I, – I just immediately went to the driving range to sort this out. I hand, didn't hand my card in. A guy comes out and goes, are you Tim O'Connor? Yeah, where's your card? Here, I give it. <laughs> and you so want, it's sh- on a scroll. It's so many numbers. You have to unfurl it. Exactly, exactly. Anyways, I finally go, okay. You know, I, I finally go into the clubhouse. I see some guys I know at the bar. They don't care. They don't care. And we end up, you know, laughing about our games and what I shot, what they shot. And mainly it was about having a good time, mm-hmm. talking about being a golf writer and stories. Oh, we did, but we lose perspective. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make is that we lose perspective. We think that, in, in essence, what your client was going through and people go through is, quite frankly, at a subconscious level, they think they're going to fucking die. <laughs> with what's going on and what happens is we get through and go oh i didn't die well i just for the record by the way if you're paying attention and you're playing uh you know humble and tim bingo for the record tim's just hit the fuck hat trick the first time i think in 194 <laughs> shows that he's gone with the triple header pretty impressive stuff from a young uh, <laughs> young fellow out of guelph ontario um just want to finish with a quick story from uh, G- the GSL files. I had a, an interesting uh, breakthrough my own self. Um, a couple of days ago, I played around a golf. We were playing a little fun money game with some guys, you know, and I got to give everyone a million shots and blah, blah, blah. And I'm playing. And I've got about a, during the round, I have like a four foot putt for my par and it was a it was a long putt. I was like a fifty five foot. I, I start you know I keep my I started keeping my decade stats. So it was my first round recording you know everything I hit. So I, I know the putt was fifty five ish feet because I walk it off. Anyway, I, I make a nice lag putt up there to about four feet, and I'm the last person to putt. Everyone else is putting out, and we're not we're not doing gimmies, which is fine. We're not, we're not playing for small money like tens and twenties. So. I go to hit. I go through my thing, and I go to hit the putt. And one of the guys has a, a power cart, and it goes over a bridge. And I stop. I it, it putts. I can hear the the cart as it's going over the bridge. So I I stop and I back away, and I get settled again. And I'm about to hit the putt again, and then Buddy's music starts playing. But in true, uh, you know, you know hit it anyway fashion i hit it anyway and miss it but here's what i wanted to share with uh, everyone is i got mad i said fuck that loudly like yeah. you, if you were within a few holes of that you would have heard somebody yell not at the top not old school rage but a pretty good fuck and uh here's the breakthrough i wasn't mad that i missed the putt didn't bother me at all i was mad at myself because i didn't back off again Totally. Because I had already backed off once, so fine. But I didn't have, I was still, had had enough self-consciousness yep. not to back off again. And I promise you this, if it had been a tournament, I would have. 
but it was a, a round of golf with some guys, blah, blah, blah. It's not that important, but it pissed me off that I didn't stick to my guns. You know, I didn't stand for a lower score in that moment because I, it was a simple putt. It was a right to left. It wasn't that hard a putt. And I, I just, when the guy's music started playing, I went ahead and hit the putt anyway. And um, so two things, you know, I didn't live in my promise to myself, which is why I got mad. I didn't totally. get mad. So anyone totally. watching me would have thought, oh, he's mad because he missed the putt. Yeah. Or he's mad at the guy whose music started to play. Which I was. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got no fucking time for that. I'm sorry. I just don't. No, I, I, I don't totally have time care. for me. I don't care what your reason for playing music on the golf course is. It's like when a guy drives next to me in a car and their their windows are down. Now I'm involved in your musical choices. But I was mad at myself that I didn't have the, the I didn't have enough of a commitment to stop again and start again. But I will say this: the second part is we go to the next tee. It's our tenth hole of the day. And by the time we got there, I'd forgotten that I'd missed the putt. I mean, I literally was so out of my mind because I didn't. That that swear that I made, I me yell not yelling. I, by by doing it, I just didn't live it. It wasn't inside me. It was just a mental a moment of, and of course, I put on my mental scorecard. You know, I gave my I didn't I, I I wasn't focused on that. So, the moral of the story is GSL still gets mad, but I'm I, I felt good about it because I'm getting mad at the right things because, you know. Lots of times in that round, I hit less than perfect golf shots, none of which gave me any pause other than, oh, well, that's interesting. Now I'm left with the green again. You know what I mean? Oh, very, very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, yeah. Man, we still all, we all go through that that stuff of of uh, uh, that that old stuff that holds, uh, not even con- in a conscious way, um, what are, what are they going to think? You know, but we just react in a way, and it doesn't serve us. And you end up being resentful. So, what was interesting to me is that the, that you yelling was, in essence, being mad at yourself. And most of the times that we do get angry, it is it's our own stuff. It's mm-hmm. not the person we think it is. It's our own effing stuff. But you know, there's and and, and you know uh, the STDs listening are just like us. Like I've gotten mad at a shot lots and lots of times, but in my past, it's always been a, a misplaced anger, which is why, why after all the practice I did, why do I still pull hook shots? And as I told my guy yesterday, I said, "Listen, dude, as far as fixing your pull hook, I said you're a good player. You're going to pull hook shots." You know, I told him the story of. You know, being in the 1997 Canadian Amateur, my very first shot, I pull hook it so far left that while the ball's in the air, the starter said, will you be hitting another one, Mr. Glassman? I'm like, let the fucking thing land. It was, it was so left, I didn't, he didn't even need to see it land. My point is, pull hooking shots isn't the problem. It's what you do after you've done it. And knowing that, did you pull hook it because you were, you know, not focused and ready or did you pull it because hey sometimes that happens that variance is going to show up in everyone's golf swing absolutely absolutely i mean my first tee shot of 2020 off grass at blue springs on saturday was a slice into a pond (laughs) what and i went what's going on here and i realized i was rushing because um 
everyone had bailed on the on the guys in my round because it was six degrees. And yes, of course. Very windy, etc. Um, Wimps. And and I decided, well, I'll just go. And I did, I want to play by myself. I decided I just want to play by myself. Nice. So there's some guys in a cart and they were dicking around, and so so I slice it into the pond and went, oh Tim, slow down. What's I mean, pond I, though? On first hole of there's a pond there. Well, it's kind of, sort of, when it gets in the summer and there's more rain, there's, it's, yeah, it's like marshy stuff off there. You can't really see it on the right because it's so Oh, I see. Away. Okay. I'm, no, I'm never, I'm sorry. I apologize. So anyways, I, I realized I banged this one off into the right and I went, oh, Tim, slow down. Goodness. You don't need to rush. These guys, you, you know, and even if they joined, it wouldn't be the end of the world anyways. So I just relaxed. I was aware what was going on. Pow. I hit this really nice drive straight down the gut it i mean it's just this part of the game is is what happens to us and it doesn't mean like because i sliced my first drive of 2022 into the pond that's not a metaphor for how the year is going to oh, go that, but that's what we think well, well that's my that's my year that's the yeah, here, whole year or 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 the day's ruined yeah this day's <laughs> ruined 2022 is ruined um, anyway, thanks to uh, not trained as a psychologist, David Glassman, but uh, a man that has uh, studied. Uh, thanks to Tim O'Connor. Tim O'Connor and uh, Nate Robinson are working together, and you should work with them. Uh, something called Quiet Mind Golf. Listen, man, if you're not, uh, you know, using, you know, Tim and Nate, you're not taking advantage of uh, the the accumulated knowledge of all the ages. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, is there still room for people to sign up? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we're moving into our next, our second month, um, but everything is like if you come in now or you come in halfway through or near the end, you're going to get full value for it because everything just keeps rolling forward. We're always reaffirming, going back to things, just building, progressing. Okay, and um, I think you should also consider becoming a. Uh, a DD becoming a, a, a decade dude um, with the DS, the, the decade Sherpa. Are we have the acronyms going today? <laughs> yes, we do. You weirdo. Um, Tim O'Connor, <laughs> O'Connor golf. You weirdo. You weirdo. Love, what's this grade six? In I know. Schoolyard? You're a weirdo. You're weird. I'm not. Uh, all right. Uh, O'Connor golf.ca. Don't forget the humble and Fred show. Uh, like, and subscribe. Uh, humble and Fred.com. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've got about, you know, I've, I've got a, a good group of guys that I'm really interested in how they're doing. I find it, uh, I've told you this before off this show, but I really do find it weirdly, I don't know, fun and gratifying and interesting. And anno- I find, I, I said that to Doolin, I said, man, I'm really relearning a lot of stuff by having to listen to other people and what they're going through. And I'm, I so relate to it. And it just reaffirms what we've been talking about for five or six, seven years now that, you know, we're all the same. And yep. just because, you know, I, my scores might be lowered, all the same stuff. And just because, you know, a guy that shoots in the eighties can shoot in the hundreds. It's like, it's, we're all going through the same things because it's such a, as David said, we, we identify as golfers, not as guys that play golf. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well said. All right. Well, listen. Young man, uh, you are a young man. Well, yeah. When is your birthday? You just it had was, a birthday? Uh, it was uh, a week ago 
today. Did I fet you properly? I think I said happy you birthday. You did, okay. yeah, and it, it, it caused us, it, it, because you played the Beatles' birthday, All right, it yes. got blocked by uh, the copyright <laughs> protection. Oh, my God. So, so it didn't get on YouTube. No. Oh, All of oh, the four viewers? All right. Well, O'Connor was 65 last week, and he'll be 65 again next week. We'll see you all. Oh, by the way, thanks. Not by the way. Thanks to Jonathan Wong Apparel, JWApparelInc.com. And don't forget, you know, we're going to be getting some people on from TaylorMade, but uh, I can tell you, every year these clubs get better and better. And uh, if you're not using TaylorMade Golf, you're not using the best clubs that are being made currently. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Coming in out of the rain to hear the jazz. Competition.